Welcome. This is our weekly devotion, and we're going to look this time at Lamentations chapter 3. This is by the prophet Jeremiah, who's living in Jerusalem as it is under siege and being destroyed by the Babylonians. And what has happened is that Israel has adopted the idolatry of the surrounding nations, whether it's Egypt, Babylon, or the Canaanites. And they brought that into the temple in Jerusalem, particularly some of the imagery of Baal and Ashtra are brought into the temple. But those two are just two of the same kind of thing. Really, the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Canaanites all, rip, all worship the same pagan deities uh, under, the, under different names. Uh, the Egyptian version is Osiris and Isis and Horus. And you have um, the Canaanite version of Baal and Astra and their child, the golden calf. These deities aren't without beginning. They all had a beginning. It's part of their mythology, part of their stories is where they came from. So they're not God the creator. But Israel kept these idols when it left Egypt. We saw they turned immediately in the desert to the golden calf. And they haven't turned away from this idolatry all through the time of with Moses, the time of conquest, the time of the kings, the divided kingdom. And so here we are with Jeremiah and Jerusalem's being destroyed. And it's interesting to see that it isn't atheism that Jeremiah is worried about. Today, I think if you, if you look at a lot of what Christian philosophers, Christian apologists do, they're mostly working on atheism. And they're very happy if they find a philosopher who gives an argument to show that God exists. That excites them. Even though this God might not be the God, the creator at all. Might be impersonal, might just be a force, might be the universe, might be the first cause, but not personal. Um, so that's like the Israelites, bringing in other deities and being excited about that, as long as you're not an atheist. But here Jeremiah is concerned about misrepresenting God. They haven't known the eternal power and divine nature of God, and instead they've replaced it with something else. And so Jeremiah is in a unique kind of affliction because he's under the same affliction as everyone else in Jerusalem. But then he's also afflicted because he's pointing out their idolatry and that they're going to be destroyed. And so the people in Jerusalem are afflicting him. So he says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. He has hedged me in so I cannot get out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He has been to me a bear lying in wait like a lion in ambush. He has turned aside my ways, torn me in pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set, up, set me up as a target for the arrow. He has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become a ridicule of all my people. Their taunting song all the day has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity, and I said, My strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remembering my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall 
my soul still remembers and sinks within me. So this is a unique kind of affliction for Jeremiah that is a witness to all the rest of us throughout the rest of history to look at him. And, and much of what's happened to him is also pointing to Christ and the suffering Christ goes through, who's also bringing that word of redemption. Really, Jeremiah is like, is like Christ, not Christ is like Jeremiah. And bringing that word of redemption, but being persecuted by those who he's trying to bring that redemption to. So this sounds pretty difficult. This is the problem of evil. Jeremiah would say, wait a minute, where's God? Here I am doing God's work, and then read these 20 verses of chapter 3, and you say, well, boy, if that's what doing God's work gets you, maybe people don't want to do God's work. Well, listen to what he says here in verse 20. My, uh, sorry, 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Wait, what? Between 20 and 21, there's this big turn. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. Not hope that I'll be restored in this life. Not hope that I'll have comfort or get out of suffering. I hope in him that I will know God. God said that to Abraham, I am your very great reward. So verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that no one, or is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for man to bear the yoke of his youth, in his youth and let him sit alone and keep silent because God has laid it upon him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes him and be full of reproach. You get a reference there, interesting, right? To uh, turn the other cheek. For the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion. There's a connection between God chastising or disciplining his people and showing connection. Those aren't in opposition. They're not in tension. They're the same thing. He will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Verse 33, for he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. To crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth to turn aside the justice due a man before the face of the Most High or subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed, or is it not? Why should a living man complain, a man, for the punishment of his sins? And so 39 there really reminds us, well, wait a minute, there's sin involved. This is not just random suffering, meaningless suffering. This is suffering due to idolatry, due to not seeing what's clear about the eternal power and divine nature of God and replacing it with something else. And so verse 40 really is the culmination let us search out and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled. You have not pardoned. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud and your, that prayer should not pass through. You have made us an off-scouring and refuse in all the midst of the people. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and snare have come upon us. Desolation and destruction. My eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes bring suffering to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. 
my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. So it's interesting, he attributes the to his enemies, they're hunting him without a cause. They aren't hunting him for the right reasons. They're opposed to him as human enemies. But God is using this for that purpose, back up to verse 40, cause us to think, examine our ways, stop and think, turn back to the Lord. Even this great ordeal on Jerusalem is meant to do that. You trans, 42, you transgressed and rebelled. And God is not pardoned in the sense that God doesn't just ignore it and let you keep doing it. God brings on discipline on you to get you to turn and think. And so the problem of evil here is really resolved and, and Jeremiah finds his hope. And if Jeremiah can find hope, we can find hope. How much the more so should we be able to find hope? We don't go through what he did, but he went through it as an example for all the rest of us. And he found hope in it, which is that God is disciplining for the purpose of compassion to bring them back to him that they might know him. And we have hope and trust that that is why God is doing what God is doing. And the whole chapter ends with there will be justice. Those who attack and scheme against the people of God will be repaid. Uh, Interestingly, in verse 65, the repayment is a veiled heart. That's the curse upon them, a darkened mind that they don't get it. Pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the Lord. So uh, we might think of the curse that we want on other people differently than that. But here what he says is, give them a veiled heart. So chapter 3 of Lamentations, the the, uh, reality of suffering in life, but even in that context, Jeremiah can find hope. And the hope is in the compassion of God bringing us back to him.